Hi, I'm Cheryl and I'm part of the staff here at Menlo Church. I became a Christian in the summer of 1980. At least that's kind of the time that I would mark when it all came together to me to follow Jesus. Uh, when I look back now, I can see a hundred little and big things that God was doing to pursue me. But it was in that summer of 1980 that all things kind of came together. I grew up in the church in a moral home with a family that wanted to do the right thing and do good things. Um, but as they say in the South, I had not yet been seized by a great affection. I had not yet come to a place of understanding why Jesus might be worthy of my life. But in high school, I met some people who were born again, okay? Um, I grew up in a little university town in Southern California. My friends were Jewish and Muslim and Catholic and Baptist and Methodist and atheist and all the things, but that was not what defined our identity, right? It was the late 70s. Let me just, for those of you who are trying to do the math, I'm 57. Uh, it was the late 70s. Think sex, drugs, rock and roll, and all those things. Kind of the end of the hippie era. Um, and also coming to the end of what was known as the Jesus movement uh, in Southern California. And so there were these Jesus people. And this sounds all kind of culty and everything, but they were, they were honest, uh, true followers of Jesus. And they tended to talk about being born again, becoming Christians. Uh, and so these friends of mine who were in this born again thing, they started giving me Christian, contemporary Christian rock eight tracks. Okay. So I don't even know if you know what an eight track is, but it's really thick and it, well, anyway, which I digress because I have, it's always kind of befuddled me. I have been now in the church for some 40 years, worked for churches for 25 years or so. And we tend to love to have this debate over worship, right? And contemporary worship. And so I've just always wondered, what does that even mean? Because did I mention that I was getting contemporary rock, Christian contemporary rock eight tracks? And that was probably 1978. So more than 40 years ago. Anyway, I digress. Back to that. So friends were giving me these Christian eight tracks and, you know, rock music. And, and then friends were also giving me books about why the Bible was a trustworthy text and why Jesus was God. Think C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, I uh, think More Than a Carpenter was one of the books that was handed to me back in that day. So basically books that would tell me I didn't have to turn off my brain, that there was good evidence, there was intellectual reason uh, to pursue Jesus as God. And then of course the eight tracks to confirm that I could still listen to rock music, even if it was really subpar compared to Journey and Yes and Cheap Trick and you get the picture. But anyway, um, I don't have time for all the details, but it was in that season in the summer of 1980 that I became a Christian. And I remember telling a friend that I had become a Christian and she said, what do you mean you became a Christian? What do you mean you what do you mean by that? What does that mean? Because in this small California town, 
you were just what your family was, right? If they were Catholic, you were Catholic. If they were Muslim, you were Muslim. If you were Jewish, you were Jewish, right? So what does it mean that you became a Christian? That's what I want us to talk about today. We're on this journey through the book of Acts. It's the history, it's in the New Testament, and it's the history of the first Christians, this first group of people who became Christians. Now, actually, that language of becoming a Christian or Christian, it only shows up once or twice in the New Testament. It was, it was a term that was given to that new, that first church. Uh, it was actually kind of a mockery. People started calling them your little Christs, your Christians. You're trying to be like Christ. And so that first church um, was kind of like, huh, well, that's kind of true. We do want to be like Christ. We want to be like Jesus, our Messiah. And the word Christ means Messiah. And so they adopted that term. So anyway, we're going to be looking at Acts again today. And we're looking at, we've called this series, First Things First. What did they put first? And one of the things that they put first was their message the message of good news, that Jesus is good news for them. And so in this moment in the book of Acts, we come on what is often referred to as the first sermon. Certainly it's the first recorded sermon that we have for this new church. It's the day when this little group of 120 Christians turned into a group of over 3,000. And it all started with that first sermon, with that message of good news. There are 19 sermons or speeches recorded in the book of Acts, depending on how you decide what a speech or a sermon is. And so you can get different numbers on that. But basically, there's, I'm gonna go with the 19 sermons or speeches. And at least seven of them were preached they were preached to Jewish, religious Jews. They were preached to non-religious Jews. They were preached to, to non-Jews, to Gentiles, which is basically everyone who's not a Jew. They were preached to a community of people who believed in, at that time, people believed in all kinds of gods. There was even one sermon that was basically uh, talking to a group of people who had an unknown God because they were worried uh, if they left out one of the gods, they might as well have a temple to at least the unknown one. They didn't want to leave him out. And so all of these sermons were uh, preached that people might come to know and follow Jesus, that they might become Christian, right? And to be fair, some who heard those messages uh, were, were disturbed, and angry and did not want to follow Jesus. But many of them did. And that's what we're gonna look at. So if you have your Bible, it's gonna be up on the screens as well. Turn to Acts chapter two, let me pray. And we're gonna dive into this first sermon that shows up with the first church in the book of Acts. Father, we just invite you as we open your word. Would you speak to us? Would you open our eyes and our hearts and our minds that, would, that we would hear you and what you would have for us today? 
even for many of us who would say we are Christian, what would you say to us today? What would you have for us? We wanna listen. We thank you for the scripture. We thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name, amen. So for the sake of time, I'm gonna skim through the first part. We're gonna start in verse 14 of Acts chapter two. And I'm gonna kind of skim through some of this and I'm gonna kind of land on that, that part that is how do you become a Christian? And again, um, maybe you're thinking, well, I'm already Christian, there's nothing in here for me. And I wanna encourage you, hang in there. I think there's something for you. I think there's something for me. So this is how it starts. Verse 14, it says, then Peter stood up with the 11. So Peter was one of the leaders of this early church and he's got the 11 also leaders of this early church who stand up with him. And it says, uh, he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. He said, fellow Jews. So he's talking to a Jewish audience who would have known uh, what we call the Old Testament. That would have been their sacred text. That would have been their scripture. And so he's addressing them, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. So the, there's these Jewish community that has come from all over because they're celebrating Pentecost, this Jewish celebration. But there's also people who just live in Jerusalem. And so he's speaking to them and he says, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk. And if you were with us last week, you know we talked about this, that there had been, Jesus had ascended and the spirit of God had descended. And this is all really important. You'll have to go back to last week's uh, sermon to hear that stuff. But basically the spirit had descended and these, these Jewish folks and people in Jerusalem were hearing this new Christian church. They were hearing them speak the wonders of Jesus in their language. And so some of them were kind of going, what's going on here with kind of a sense of wonder. And others were saying, oh, they're drunk they're drunk. So I love this. So Peter says, these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. That's his, that's his reasoning. They hadn't come up with the, it's five o'clock somewhere kind of thing. But anyway, these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then what Peter does is he quotes from the Old Testament prophet Joel and he quotes what Joel had to say about the spirit coming. So he's saying basically what you've just seen and heard, this was prophesied, this was expected. We, thought, we knew this was coming because of the prophet Joel. And so Peter quotes Joel about God's spirit being poured out. And then we'll skip to verse 22. It says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. Jesus of Nazareth, this was a person that you saw who grew up in Nazareth. This is based in history, and he's done miracles and wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourself know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. God's in control. God had a plan and this was his plan. And you, with the help of wicked men, 
put him, Jesus, to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Peter's pointing to the resurrection, the resurrection that he had been a witness of, that the 11 who were standing with him and the rest of this 120 first Christians and believers had been witnesses of this Jesus. Verse 25 and through 35 then, Peter goes on and he quotes the Psalms. He quotes Psalm 16 and he quotes Psalm 110. And he says this, this Jesus is the one who was to come through the line of David. David had written those Psalms and had spoken of an ultimate rescuing king, one who would come to make everything right, one who would come and make everything new. And so verse 29, fellow Israelites, he says again, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David, he died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants, one of David's descendants on his throne, on God's throne. Seeing what was to come, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. So Peter's putting the pieces together for them. You see, they had not been looking for a resurrection. And Peter's saying, you know, if we had read our sacred text correctly, we would understand that David was talking about this resurrection of the Messiah. The Messiah was the Christ. The Messiah was the one who was gonna come and be king and rescue them. Seeing what was to come, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did he, his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. See him connecting the dots. The one you were looking for, this Messiah, is Jesus. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. We've seen him, we've known him. Exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. This is the work of God. And then in verse 36, he says this, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus who you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. This is Peter's thesis statement. God has made this Jesus both Lord and Messiah. Jesus is Lord. That was the word that uh, was used again. This is the Greek word of it, but this was the word that was used in the Old Testament for their God, for Yahweh. This is Jesus is your Lord, he is your God. Jesus is your Messiah. He's your rescuer. He's the one we've been waiting for. To convince them of this, he's appealed to them by their sacred text, right? This is what the scripture has said. And these Jews would have known that sacred text backwards, forwards. They would have memorized huge chunks of it, if not all of it. And then he also, again, points to the evidence of witness, right? 
We have seen him. We are eyewitnesses right here amongst us. You see, Christianity is grounded in evidence. Jesus is grounded in history. He's a man who lived, but he's God. And it's a mystery. But Peter is pointing to all of this evidence. And so Peter is appealing to their mind, right? But then something happens. Peter is appealed to their mind, but then this true truth that he's laid out before them does what truth does. Because you see, we live what we believe. How we think is how we live. What we believe will spill out of us into our relationships, into our work, into our life. And something is happening here. You see, this journey of faith for them, this journey of faith in Jesus wasn't just a journey of understanding or comprehending or intellectually assenting to, like, okay, yes, I believe he's God, but now something is happening, not just to their mind, but to their heart. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. The language there is their hearts were pierced. And they said to Peter and to the other apostles, those other leaders, what should we do? What should we do? What do we do with this information? You have shown us and you have appealed to our mind and we can see as you have quoted the scripture and if you have spoken of your own eyewitness of this Jesus, we can see that what you're saying is true. But now our hearts are pierced and they ask the question that we all would ask. What do we do? What do we do with this Jesus, right? The way C.S. Lewis put it, right, is, is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he the Lord? Is he the Messiah? Is he the Christ? You see, what was happening here was they weren't just changing their mind, they were having a change of heart. They knew, and this is layered and nuanced and deep, but they, they understood as Peter was saying, you put him on the cross. And many of those people would not have been there when Jesus was put on the cross. But they understood as the Jewish community, not recognizing Jesus as the Messiah, they were complicit. They were complicit in his death. One commentator put it this way. He said, it's one thing to know you broke the rules, but it's another thing to know that you've broken God's heart. And as they came to understand with their mind and their own heart that they were complicit in the death of Christ, that they had missed the Messiah, they had misunderstood Jesus. Their hearts were broken because they recognized that they had broken God's heart. They had missed the Messiah. You see, religious people 
are tempted to focus on keeping the rules. That's why there was this sect of Jews uh, known as the Pharisees who created rules to help them keep the rules, right? There's just more rules and more rules because there's this sense that we can sometimes have if I can just get it right. If I can just keep the right rules, then I can be in control. And what God wants is he wants a relationship with us. Not just rule keeping, but relationship. And that's a little more out of control. That I would depend on another to set the course of my life. That I would depend on another to say, go to the right, go to the left, right? They'd had knowledge of God, but now what was happening with Peter's sermon, this message of good news. The Messiah is here, you've seen him, you, you can know him. His spirit has been sent, you can have relationship with him. They were having an encounter with God. I think of people like John Wesley, he was clergy, he was church people, right? He started uh, the Methodist church and that denomination, if you will. Well, he was clergy, he was a church person, but as he was doing churchy things, <laughs> he ended up in this meeting one night and he describes it as someone was reading from Martin Luther's preface to his commentary on Romans, which is Romans is the book in the New Testament that is the good news on display. And John Wesley says that it was in that moment that he had an encounter with Jesus. He describes it as his heart was strangely warmed. He now didn't just know about Jesus. He didn't just teach about Jesus. He knew Jesus. He experienced Jesus. He stepped into relationship with him. I think of the mathematician and scientist Blaise Pascal similarly. He had an acknowledgement of a God, a deity, but he describes in his story this moment, this evening, when he had an encounter with Jesus and it changed the entire trajectory of his life. He wrote down this prayer and in it he proclaims, Jesus, Jesus. He proclaims wanting to surrender to Jesus. And he took that prayer, Blaise Pascal, and he actually sewed it into the interior of his coat. It was found after he died. He had a knowledge of God, a sense of a deity, but now he had encounter with Jesus. And that's what's happening here. And they're saying, what do we do? And so verse 38, Peter replied, this is what you do, repent and be baptized. Now that word repent can come with all kinds of junk around it because I used to live in Pasadena. I lived um, just blocks every New Year's day. Um, Pasadena has a little parade and um, I could walk to that parade from my house. And always at the end of the parade, there was this group of people who had these big old signs that said, repent, you're going to hell kind of stuff, right? 
That's not the invitation that Peter's giving here. He does want for them salvation. He does want for them relationship. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive God's very presence, not just with you, but in you. Not just out there, but right here. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Peter's saying, God is calling you and you can call upon him. Repent, that word simply means to turn around, to change your mind. You see, we all follow what we believe will give us what we most want. We will follow whatever it is or whoever it is that we think will give us security, fame, uh, control, relationship, all the things that we want, the thing that would give us value, the thing that we think will give us worth, we will follow that thing, right? And none of those things are bad, <laughs> but here's the problem. When we put our hope and our trust and we follow something that is not God, that is not Jesus, the one who created us, the one who knows us best, who made us for himself, right? What happens when we follow other things as one um, pastor said that when you make um, good things, ultimate things, they become little gods for us. And when we follow those little gods, those lesser gods, small g gods, we can find ourselves stepping into a pit. And for some of us, that pit, and I talked about this last week, I've been through a depression. I'm all for therapy and, and antidepressants and all the things, so hear that. But there was a piece of my depression, and I know different people have different experiences of this, but for me, there was a piece of that was, that was holding on to one of those lesser gods. It was this thing that was like, this has to happen. If this doesn't happen, then I can't be whatever. I can't thrive. I can't be secure. I can't feel valuable. I can't feel like I matter. If I don't get this thing, then I can't be this. And I fought, fell into a pit as I followed that lesser God. For others, you can fall into the pit of loneliness, right? Pushing people away, <laughs> letting people push you away, whatever it is. We can fall into that pit. Maybe ultimately for many, it's a pit of emptiness because we start to realize all these little gods, all these little things we were following, hoping they were gonna make a difference, those things have left us empty. We've gotten those things maybe. Maybe you've gotten all those things. You have security. You have whatever it is that you were looking for. And it's empty. There's an emptiness to it. You see, what Peter was inviting them to was turn around, 
repent, change who you follow, change what you follow, right? You see, for many of these who were listening, what they were following was religion. Many of us have accepted the church into our life, but we haven't necessarily accepted Jesus. We haven't put our trust in him. We've put our trust in rules, religiosity, all those kind of things. And Jesus didn't fit into their scheme. And sometimes Jesus doesn't fit into our scheme either, right? Because what was happening then was Jesus's grace was disrupting all their rules, their sense of control, and they missed him. They couldn't see him as Messiah They couldn't see him for who he was. They were thinking too small. Because to have a relationship with Jesus isn't just to keep rules. It's to know him as their God, as their Messiah. It's to be like Jesus in the sense that, you know, to follow Jesus is to be kind of like what he did. Jesus would often say, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. And to be a follower of Jesus is to be one who says, I want to only do what Jesus tells me to do. I only want to say what he tells me to say. Of course, there are those who will say, but that's scary. I've had so many people say this to me over the years. But if I follow Jesus, I'll have to blank or I'll have to give up blank, right? You can fill that in. Well, I have to be like those people, right? And I would say, you know, it's more than that. It's bigger than that. To follow Jesus is to step into a life of surrender, to trust his goodness and his way as the way that you were really designed for, the way that you were made for. Because Jesus says, not just come along the way with me, he says, I am the way. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Repent, turn around, change the one that you follow. Stop following the lesser gods and choose to follow the one who is God, Jesus. And then Peter says, be baptized, be baptized. These Jewish listeners would have understood baptism as a public or outward sign of conversion. When a non-Jew became a Jew, they were baptized. And if they were male, they were also circumcised, right? So they understood what he was saying, that when, if you're going to become a follower of Jesus, get baptized into Jesus. Get baptized into his community, this new community, this new church. Come, change who you follow, and as you follow him, get baptized. Join this new community Step into this new identity that the New Testament authors spoke of as union with Christ, being in Christ. Repent, change directions. Come follow Jesus. Be baptized. Make a public proclamation of your new identity in your new community. Verse 40. With many other words, Peter warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. You ever feel that? Are you following corruption? Come follow Jesus. 
those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's some big church growth, right? Peter pleaded with them. And I want to plead with you. Would you take a next step towards Jesus? Even if you are a Christian, what would your next step be? Maybe you would join us in this 90 days of prayer and fasting. Maybe would you would join us in this opportunity that we're taking as a church to sit with God in prayer, to listen, to have him give us direction through the scripture, through conversation with him. Maybe for some of you, that next step would be, um, you're saying, I wanna explore more of this. I wanna know more about this. Well, we're gonna be starting a group that we're calling Exploring Christianity. It's just a six week group. It's gonna be starting up in a couple of weeks. And, um, and you could step into that. Maybe it's time to be baptized. You wanna be baptized. You recognize, I am in Christ. I, I wanna publicly proclaim that. I wanna step into this new life in Christ, this new community of the church. You could be baptized. And then my hope would be that there's some of you who today is the day that you would become a Christian, that you would turn and you would follow Jesus, right? All four of these steps, whether it's you wanna pray, you wanna step into the Exploring Christianity group, you wanna be baptized, you wanna become a Christian, there are ways to step into that. You're not committing to anything, but there should be a little link that you can click on it, or if you're watching on YouTube, it would be in the YouTube notes. But we wanna give you resources. We wanna walk with you in this. We wanna help you in these next steps towards Jesus. So I want to encourage you to go ahead and click on that. Uh, help, let us walk this out with you. To become a Christian is simply to turn and follow Jesus. Surrendering to his way as the way. In the gospel of John, uh, one of the first few books of the New Testament, and John who wrote that book was one of those 11 who was standing up with Peter when he proclaimed this message of good news. Well, John says it this way in chapter one, verse 10. He says, Jesus was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name and believing in the name of Jesus is just believing in who he is, all that is about him. Those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To become a Christian is to believe, to believe that Jesus, as Peter proclaimed, is our Lord and our Messiah, our Christ, our rescuer, and we become a Christian by receiving him. And so in this moment, you could simply receive Jesus in the same way that you would receive someone, a friend, into your home. You could receive him into your life. You could simply just say to him, Jesus, I receive you. You are my Lord and my Messiah, and I am yours. 
Father, I thank you that you give us through Jesus an entrance into relationship with you. That we don't have to just know about you, but we can actually know you. And even more beautifully than that, we are known by you. And so we say, for some of us the first time and for some of us the hundredth time, we say, Lord, we know you, Jesus, to be our King, our Messiah, our God, and we receive you today. And we follow you today because you are good and you are worthy of our life. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.